Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season three of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, October 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the word of God. Ladies, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we bow our heads and humble ourselves before your throne of mercy and of grace. As we begin our Bible study, we ask you to join us in the study of your word. Anoint my lips of clay so that your word goes forth in spirit and in truth. Hide me behind the shadow of your cross so that you only are seen and heard in this Bible study. Will you bind the powers of the spirit of darkness so that not one evil deed is met against this ministry or these your people? Bless each person within the sound of my voice and be ye glorified. In Jesus' name, I ask all of these things and give you thanks even now in advance for answered prayer. Count it as done by faith and in accordance with your word. Amen. Ladies, today we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel. This is a book that many women may not want to read. First, because it is a difficult book to read. And second, because many women identify Ezekiel as a misogynist, meaning someone who despises or is strongly prejudiced against women. They have arrived at this conclusion based on the sexually explicit imagery and several chapters of the book of Ezekiel, particularly in chapters 16 and 23, where some of the imagery is violent and abusive against women. It's going to take us quite a bit of time to work our way through the entire book of Ezekiel, and we will do chapters 16 and 23 together because of the nature of the text. But I hope you will hang in there with me as we work our way through this interesting text, because there is more to Ezekiel's sexually violent imagery than that which first meets the eye. I fully recognize that this text and its long history of interpretation has done some serious and irrevocable harm to women, but we must still question what drove Ezekiel to write such sexually violent imagery, and what were the historical, sociological, and cultural forces in play at the time of Ezekiel's writing that makes these images symbolically and rhetorically powerful today. When we come back, we are going to continue our study on the book of Ezekiel, examining texts from Ezekiel chapter 13 titled, False Prophets and Destructive Messages. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today, we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel, examining text from Ezekiel chapter 13 titled, 
false prophets and destructive messages. I'm not going to read all of the verses of the chapter because they are rather long, but I will refer to them as we work our way through the text for your future reference. And I will either read from the King James Version or the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Ladies, Ezekiel chapter 13 defends the house of Israel against the destructive messages of false prophets. The denunciation of the false prophets is motivated both by a sense of jealousy that their messages have converted the will of God and because their false prophecies lead to the destruction of God's people. Ezekiel chapter 13 suggests that the false prophets were associated with Zedekiah and his rebellion against Babylon. But the chapter does not speak of precise historical circumstances, like, for example, the book of Jeremiah, which provides considerable detail about Jeremiah's conflicts with Hananiah and Shemaiah, prophets who supported Zedekiah's rebellion. And you can refer to his, uh, Jeremiah chapters 28 and 29 for more on that. When I considered the fact that other officials are named in Ezekiel chapters 8 and 11, I am surprised by the lack of specificity in Ezekiel chapter 13, where um, instead of dealing with specific issues or persons, Ezekiel elucidates a general principle that was hinted at in the disputation of Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 21 through 28. And that is that there shall no longer be any false vision or flattering divinations within the house of Israel. That's verse 24. Now, this does not mean that prophecy will cease. Once this falsehood falsehood is eliminated, it will be possible to trust in prophetic visions. It is important to note that some scholars do call the men in verses 1 through 16 false prophets and the women in verses 17 through 23 sorcerers or witches. But I'm not I'm going to refrain from doing this because I think that our text today drops hints that both men and women spoke in prophetic idiom and articulated God's message. Also, because from my reading and understanding of the text, the activity of the women is not characterized as witchcraft. However, Ezekiel does oppose them, and I'm going to try to explain that opposition. So let's unpack Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, chapter 13. Ladies, Ezekiel chapter 13 is a response to the exile's skepticism regarding the fulfillment of the visions of Ezekiel in chapter 12, verses um, 21 through 28. In assuring that God's word would be fulfilled, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 24, promised that there would no longer be any false or lying visions or flattering divinations. And he begins his response to the exiles with an oracle against the male prophets in verses 1 through 16. 
The oracle blends together two prophetic genres. First, the proof saying, and second, the woe article. These genres consist in three parts. First, the proof saying, which includes a description of wrongdoing, is found in verses three through seven. It is also here that we find the elements of the woe or oracle, which incorporates funeral laments because the oracle envisions the demise of these male prophets. Second, the announcement of judgment in verses 8 through 14a. And third, the recognition formula or statement of the goal of the judgment, which is acknowledgement of God in verses 14 and verse 14 B in the first Oracle, the announcement of judgment is doubled by the linking of two structurally similar oracles verses two through nine and verses 10 through 16, both of which use metaphors that revolve around the strength of a wall. For example, in verses two through nine, the prophets are compared to jackals among ruins. While in verses 10 through 16, they are compared to bad builders who finished, whose finished work fails to buttress the wall against God's wrath. Ladies, note that the oracle alternates between speaking to the prophets directly in the second person in verses 5, 7, and 8, which says, you have not gone up into the breaches or repaired a wall for the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. Have you not seen a false vision or uttered a lying divination when you have said, says the Lord, even though I did not speak. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehoods and envisioned lies, I am against you, says the Lord God. And then the oracle speaks about the prophets in the third person in verses three, four, six, and nine, which says, thus says the Lord God, alas from the senseless prophets who follow their own spirits and have not and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins. Oh, Israel, they have envisioned falsehood and lying divinations. They say, says the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they wait for the fulfillment of their word. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. So it ends with that recognition formula. So the oracle is addressing two audiences. First, the community of Israel, which has fallen prey to false prophets and their lies. And second, the prophets themselves. The prophets conclude their oracles with a familiar quote, says the Lord, end quote, which means that they are using terms and figures of speech drawn from the Israelite context. And verse six says that they, quote, wait for the fulfillment of their word or their prophecy, end quote. They appear to be models of hope 
and trust. But in verse seven, Ezekiel accuses them of having heard and seen nothing from God. He disparages their piety and devotion as nothing more than self-delusion, and he condemns their message as false prophecy and lies. In verse 4, these false prophets are likened to resemble jackals among ruins. And the imagery of verse 5 suggests that the imagined ruin is a defensive wall unable to stand or unable to withstand enemy attack. Further, just as jackals roam amid ruins, contributing to further deterioration, so the false prophets cause the further destruction of God's people. So in terms of prophetic activity, these false prophets have failed to issue warnings of impending danger and to intercede in order to avert danger. Uh, see Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 35 for more on this analogy. The false prophets have asserted an intimacy with God by claiming to speak in his name, but God rejects them and their claim and declares his opposition to them with the challenge formula in verse 8, which says, because you have uttered falsehoods and envisioned lies, I am against you says the Lord God. Further in verse nine, God says, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. There is that recognition formula that we have been talking about so many times in this Bible study. So God is against false prophets and false prophecy. And he excludes false prophets from the council of Israel, which is an exclusion from an intimate association of close friends and confidants. And they are excluded from the circle of political leaders. Now, notice that false prophets were not excluded from the council of God. And that is because they were never invited into the fellowship. Secondly, Ezekiel says that the names of the prophets will not be written in the register or census of Israel. Now, I do not know the precise value of such a register, but there is evidence of population lists in the ancient Near East, such as Davis census, which was used for military conscription. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and a list of returning exiles, according to Ezra chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 7. These lists ensure privileges such as service in the priesthood. I think it is possible that Ezekiel had some such list in mind for false prophets. Finally, the prophets are denied the privilege of entering the land of Israel. And this is important because exclusion from the land of Israel cuts the false prophets off from God's covenantal promises. You might remember that in Ezekiel chapter 11, the oracle addressed the question of 
who constituted the remnant. Here in chapter 13, the false prophets, having said much but seen nothing, have no share in the future community. They are cut off from those who they have hurt most with their lies and false prophecy. God's people. The second oracle follows the proof oracle structure. And just as the first oracle does in verses two through nine, the second oracle condemns the false prophets and misleading of God's people with false prophecy. The specific content of their false prophecy is revealed in verses uh, 10 through 16, where they declare peace when there was no peace. See Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, and Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 9. Their prophecies were rooted in Zion theology or the belief that God would protect his chosen city and its inhabitants from harm. When this theology was applied to the crisis at hand, it instilled hope for a positive outcome in the war against Babylonia. Ezekiel condemned this practice as worthless. And in verse 13, he likens it to a poorly finished wall that was unable to withstand the rains. Verses 14 through 16 says, I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When the city falls, you shall perish within it and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus, I will spend my wrath upon the walls and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I tell you, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for it when there was no peace says the Lord God. This is the new revised standard version of the text, and it follows a widely accepted rem a rendering of the noun whitewash, which is a very thin layer that does a plaster that does little more than improve the wall's appearance. In other words, the whitewash was insufficient to withstand the onslaught of a driving rain. Ezekiel is establishing a wordplay between two nouns, plaster, whose meaning has just been discussed, and um, tapel, or is in Hebrew is T-A-P-E-L, tapel one, which means plaster, and tapel two, which means that which is insipid or worthless. So the term tapel is used to denounce prophecy. For example, in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14, table is parallel with vanity. And both terms, table 1 and table 2, express the worthlessness of the false prophet's prophetic message. There is a second word play between table or plaster and what happens to the wall. It falls in verses 11 and 12 says, so to those who smear whitewash on it, that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain. Great hailstones will fall and a stormy wind will break out. 
Thus, the word table has a double pun. First, table one is whitewash and table two is worthless divination. And we know that worthless divination itself will fall. And this derives home or drives home the question in verse 12, which asks, when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the whitewash you smeared on it? You see, God exposes the wall's weakness by sending torrential rains and hailstorms to wash away the prophet's lies and tear down the wall to its foundation. So God's wrath is the power of the storm. The oracle suggests that the wall is a part for whole metaphor of the city. And the result of the destruction is that nothing will be left. No wall, no false prophet and no peace. The second part of chapter three condemns the practices of the women prophets. Just as in the first section, this section, uh, um, this second part contains two structural similar oracles or judgment, uh, oracles of judgment, combining the proof oracle form of element with the woe oracle. Unlike the judgment of the men prophets, these oracles do not end with a death decree or um, like in verse 13 or the women's exclusion from the community. See verse nine, verse 18 says, and say, thus said the Lord God, woe to the women who sew bands on all wrists and make veils for the hands of persons of every height in the hunt for lives. Will you hunt down lives among my people and maintain your own lives? In our text, the women prophets are not killed, although they do deserve to die. But the women will instead be shut out of the prophetic community, according to verse 23, which says, therefore, you shall no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hand. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Everything goes back to this goal that they recognize or acknowledge God as the Lord or recognize and acknowledge the Lord. The women were engaging in practices that were alien to prophecy, which further suggests that they were performing occult acts such as magic. But since these women's activity is partially described in terms of traditional prophetic activity, they should be regarded as prophets, not as witches or sorcerers. Note that although a handful of women prophets are named in the Old Testament, like Miriam in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, Deborah in Judges chapter 4 and 5, Huldah and 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 14, and the wife of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Not much is known about female prophetic activities. Ezekiel 13, verses 17 through 23 is one of the few passages to speak concretely of their roles. And he avoids calling them prophets, but does say that they prophesy. In verse 17, which says, as for you, mortal, set your faces against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imaginations, prophesy against them. 
after speaking against false prophets in general, Ezekiel then specifically addressed women who were false prophets and who practiced divination just as the male prophets. So Ezekiel's dress to the female false prophets was not mere repetition because a female false prophet may have special appeal to other women as well as to men. In verse 18, Ezekiel accuses the women of sewing bands on all the wrists of, and of making veils for every head of every height. The imagery is obscure, but it might hint at the basic problem for Ezekiel in verse 17, that the women bind and loose on their own authority or out of their own imaginations. Ezekiel's complaint is that the women have usurped God's prerogative. God's people pay trifling sums to these women for ruling in matters of life and death. In verse 19, God says, you have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death those who should not die and keeping alive those who should not live by your own, by your lies to my people who listen to lies. So the women were making a living for themselves through false prophecies, ceremonies, and other actions. And they profaned God by belittling him in the eyes of his people. This is serious. The women were not condemned because their rituals were ineffective. No, they were condemned because their activities undermined God's will, which was to be affected by his sentinel, Ezekiel. What the women perceived as life-giving ritual was in fact a deadly hunt for human life. In, and in the announcement of the judgment, God declares that he would free his people from, the lethal, from their lethal snares. The final oracle is found in Ezekiel chapter 22 and 23, which says, because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not disheartened them. You have encouraged the wicked not to turn from their wicked ways and save their lives. Therefore, you shall not no longer see false vision or practice divination. I will save my people from your hand. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ladies, this oracle condemns the women for their false inversion of the divine will. They discourage the hearts of the righteous, even though that was not God's intention. Further, they strengthened the hand of the wicked, thereby preventing their repentance. The punishment for these false female prophets was that they would no longer experience divination or see visions. The work of the false prophets, both men and women, had at least two terrible effects. First, their false prophecy brought sadness to the heart of the righteous. And second, they strengthened the hand of the wicked so that not only were the godly discouraged, but the wicked would not repent or turn from their wicked ways not even to save their own life, but God, somebody say, but God, God promised to put an end to the false prophets and to deliver his people from their deception. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, via the Tidely app at Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Second, at Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y, you may donate to Broken Vessels, hyphen Mended and Whole. Or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637, Los Angeles, California, 9. 
1-800-273-0034. Please join me next week for another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget to check in with me on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice. That's J-A-N-I-S Nelson today at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, take good care and may God continue to bless you. Amen. You. God bless you.